round. So how many people are ready for a word today? That's kind of lukewarm. How many people are ready for a word today? All right. Oh, that's better. That's better. I think I'll preach now then. Okay. Um, so open up your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles 26. And we kicked off a series last week. We're continuing on in that today. The series is called Road to Greatness. And... The title is kind of meant to pull you in a little bit, but it's, there's also a bit of a play on words, I guess, because the idea that we're trying to get across uh, is that God wants us to be great. He has a plan to raise us up as his children to great things, but it's how we define greatness or how we seek to be great that really makes all the difference in the world. You could go and spend your life trying to build your own kingdom, trying to be impressive in the eyes of men, go with the flow of culture and not rock the boat and just kind of have everybody uh, be okay with you because you never really stand for something strong and firm. But what we're talking about is what Jesus says. He says, I'm looking for those who are wanting to be great in the kingdom. Being great in the kingdom doesn't necessarily mean subscribing to a set of rules or principles uh, that would cause us to be great in the eyes of the world. Does that make sense? But we can be great in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, John the Baptist, one of the greatest. He says, you want to know how to be great in the kingdom? Be a servant of all. Humble yourself as a little child. And so we see this... this, principle in operation all throughout the scriptures that is when we try to raise ourselves up that ultimately we end up just coming down but when we humble ourselves and really just recognize our total dependency on a perfect God and that we can do nothing without him when we're humble as a servant when we're humble in the way we love and serve one another then Jesus actually exalts and lifts us up So those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who try to exalt themselves will be humbled. No one escapes this. No one passes by this principle. These are God's laws in operation. We could just choose to partner with it and and really align with it, or we can kind of fight against it and experience the heartache that comes with that. A well-known king by the name of Uzziah, who we looked at last week in his life. It's really one of many pictures that demonstrates this principle. But Uzziah was a man who really, he he was raised up to great things. In fact, the scripture tells us that God is the one who raised him up to great things. And for many years, he did wonderful things in the kingdom of Israel. But ultimately, he reached this place where pride began to creep into his heart He began to think it was about him and not about God. He began to think he was the reason things were happening, not God's hand with him. And ultimately, there was a crash. There was a fall. And he came crumbling down. And ultimately for him, he ended up living in isolation for the rest of his life with leprosy. And so we want to look at this concept, this principle, and say, okay, God, he wants us to be great. He wants us to be great in the kingdom And the key to that, that road to greatness, is the humble road. You might say it's the lowly road. It's the road of total dependency on God all of the time. 
So let's read in uh, 2 Chronicles 26, the first uh, four or five verses here. It says, So all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Yekuliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Last week, part one, we said, was great in the kingdom. In this series, Road to Greatness, today, part two is seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. So I would ask you this question, is seeking and discovering more of God your greatest fulfillment in life? Is it your greatest fulfillment in life? It's interesting because When we come to know Jesus, you would say, and it would be accurate to say, I've found him, and you have, and he's yours forever. But at the same time, we can also say, I will spend my life seeking to know him more. (laughs) And I want you to get this, because one of the real keys to Uzziah's time of progressive growth of God raising him up in those years that he did. One was that he was a humble man during the beginning stages. He was 16 when he started. I mean, he came from humble beginnings, right? Somewhere along the line, he forgot where he came from, but for a long time, he was humble. But it also says, as we just read in those verses, that one of the keys was as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. As long as he sought the Lord. And uh, there is a quote by A.W. Tozer, I love this, it says, to have found God and still pursue Him is the great paradox of our heart in love with Him. To have found Him, but to know I can never fully find Him. And so my life will be about seeking Him. And as long as I'm seeking Him, then God will make me to prosper. He will raise me up in the things that He has for me. But... If our heart, and we'll talk about this today, pivots, if something else rivals God in this place where we would enthrone him, then some of the same kinds of changes, breakdowns, can begin to happen in our own life, much like it did Uzziah. And I would be willing to bet for many of us, we've probably been through it or experienced it at some point along the way, right? So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to just speak to us today, oh God. We would say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Uh, We want to know you more. We want to know you deeper and greater than ever before. Help us to peer into hidden things that could not be known apart 
from a revelation, an uncovering of your Holy Spirit. But we have all faith and confidence, God, that you can open our spiritual eyes and open our spiritual ears to hear and see those things that you want us to hear and see. That we might be improved and that our work for you might be improved and advanced so that the kingdom of God can be advanced here on this earth through our lives. We ask that you would, you would move that forward in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So Uzziah spends years, you know, he was, it says he reigned 52 years, so he had a pretty good tenure. Um, he went on to do great things. We can't, we can't disregard that. He did a lot of great things, but ultimately his end is kind of the, the mark of his story. Uh, a lot of people start well, finish poorly. They do. Sometimes it's some kind of uh, temptation pulls him away, and other times it's just the pressures of and the weight of the success and the achievement that God is raising them up to, which is so much why it's important that we tend the garden of our heart constantly so that it's always healthy. God says, too much is given, much is required. If you want to be faithful in much, show me that you're faithful in little. It's a, it's a testing principle. We see that, right, in Scripture. And so uh, we spoke, I spoke a few weeks ago a message about David and the Jebusites, and one of the things I said that Scripture tells us is David went on to become great. So God says these things. He's, it's, it's good. He says David went on to be great, great in the eyes of God, right? Uh, Uzziah was great. He accomplished much, but it's, it's obvious that the accomplishments, the successes, the achievement, the things that happened, I mean, he did great things politically, militarily for the nation. He, he, he was a leader of leaders. I mean, great success. But it was the favor of God that was on his life that led him to this place of achievement. Does that make sense? Uh, it, it's so important that we understand this. Does God give us skills, gifts, and abilities? Yes, absolutely. And he wants to light those on fire uh, and use those, deploy those in the world for himself and for his glory. But it's not our great skill, talent, and ability that takes us to the place of great things for God. It's his favor. It's his grace. It's his blessing on our lives that really is the game changer. Nothing else can compete with that. I mean, God's the the God who opens doors that no man can open, and he'll shut doors that no man can shut. I mean, it's his hand, right? The Bible speaks a lot about the hand of God. In fact, that's point number one if you're taking notes is the hand of the Lord. The hand is what actually lifted Uzziah up. The hand demonstrates the power of God. He extends his righteous right arm. He extends his right hand, power and authority. And it says that if we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. He will lift us by his righteous right hand. That power, that strength, guys, that is something that nothing we could do in our human ability could ever compare or compete with. I want his favor all over my life. I want his grace touching and flowing into everything I do. I want his grace on my marriage. I want his grace on my parenting. I want his grace on my role in the church. I want his grace on my role in the community. I want his grace on everything. I don't ever want to be out from under his grace. So if I want to walk in that, I got to stay humble and I got to keep seeking. But if I keep seeking, I know that his hand 
I can have faith that his hand will continue to raise me up. But you know what? God will, he will allow us because he doesn't force our will. And I'm thankful for that. I don't know about you, but I am. When you really ponder and meditate, I'm thankful that he doesn't force our will. Uh, but he will allow us, if we choose to, if we try to bypass him or move around him, he will allow us to try to build it ourselves. He says, okay. He says, look, he says, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So he said, I'm going to do it myself. Okay, we'll see how that goes for you. I'm, I'm kind of play on words, but you understand the point, right? This is, so I won't touch that. I won't touch that. And he'll allow us to, to build it ourselves, but ultimately it's just like everything we do from that point on is like quicksand. <laughs> Nothing you can build will stand on it. But the word of God is solid rock. Proverbs, or Psalms 127, unless the Lord builds the house, whoever's laboring is laboring in vain. He'll build our house, though. He'll build it. He'll, he'll, in fact, I've thought about this before with Uzziah. It's a shame he came crashing down. I want to learn the lessons that are there to learn. Uh, but I just have to wonder, I, I mean, how much more was there <laughs> that God wanted to do? If he would have stayed the course. I mean, I don't really think we can comprehend how far God can take us and how much he can do through us and how amazingly he can use us to accomplish his will. I think that's why he says in Ephesians 3, God can do exceedingly and abundantly far more than anything you could think, ask, or comprehend. I don't even have the capacity to dream that big, but I like that. I liked it. I can't even reach where God wants to take me. But in order to see these places, for God to raise us up, we got to stay humble, and we have to keep seeking. So Uzziah, he started well, but he finished poorly. And it is interesting because everything that he achieved over those years, everything that was accomplished once he came crashing down, it was like everything was just stripped from him. Perceived success in the world, it's very vaporous. I mean, when something like that happens in the life of a man or a woman, reality hits pretty hard. Wow. All that I spent my life doing and accomplishing, he's living in isolation as a leper. It means absolutely nothing to him now. It could do nothing for him. Nothing. It can't help him. It can't take away his leprosy. It can't restore him back into society. It can't give him influence anymore. It's all gone. But somewhere along the line, he put a lot of stock and faith in it, seemingly, that led to this place where he fell. But he really started well. He started well. Humble beginnings, small beginnings. I think that's why Paul says in the scriptures, in his epistles, he says, basically says, never forget where you came from. Right? He, he says, you need to remember that we were all once lost in floods of dissipation and sinfulness. I mean, it's not an excuse to sin, but he just says, you just need to remember what you've been rescued from. That helps me keep my bearings. Helps me keep my bearings. I'm always thankful, and I always have compassion. But I also never want to go back either. And I don't want anybody else to live there anymore if they don't have to, if they can see a different way. Does that make sense? So Uzziah... He let pride get into his heart. It drove him to burn incense in the temple, something that this was only reserved for a priest to do. 
And whenever that happened, the priests came to him and they said, you can't do this. Now, keep in mind, he honored the Lord's laws and wishes and will for, for decades. All of a sudden, pride's got a hold of him so much that he basically says, I don't need the priest anymore. I'm the king. I'm going in myself. And they said, no, you can't. And he found out that he couldn't. But he found out the hard way. Let me tell you how you can, a good way to tell that someone is close to a fall, close, is when they begin to reject godly correction. I'm talking about brothers and I'm talking about Christians. I get that the world doesn't subscribe to this, okay, secular world. But as, as members of the body of Christ, when someone gets to the point where they reject godly correction, you can tell they're close to a fall. And actually, there's, there's one more progressed level here, which is that Uzziah, he became angry. So it's not only that they reject it, nah, no thanks, they're angry about it. And that's where he was. And that's where his fall came. And so, let me ask you this before I move on to the next point. Have you started well? Maybe you got off on the right foot. Maybe you, you know, recently got saved and born again, or you've been headed down a right track, but maybe somewhere along the line, something has kind of shifted a little bit for you. Maybe the, the enemy has caused you to think it's a little bit more about you than about God, or that maybe your skill is part of the reason why you're achieving things that you're achieving. If so, I just want to encourage you that you can recalibrate. Because you see, as quickly as everything came crashing down, for Uzziah, our God, our Jesus is a miracle working God. And this thing works in reverse order as well. I'm telling you, I've seen it with my own eyes. People live a lifetime in sin and debauchery and all kinds of immorality and evil. They're at the end of themselves. They're lost. They're empty. And they finally realize that I can't do this anymore. It's not about me. I don't have control. And they may have had a lifetime of this stuff going on. But Jesus could come in from a moment and raise them up and pull them out of darkness and move them into his marvelous life. As long as there's breath in our lungs, God can restore and raise a person up in a moment when they come to the end of themselves. If somebody else here today I think maybe needs to hear this, maybe you feel like you've lost a lot. Maybe it feels like a lot of things have been stripped from you. I don't know the reasons or how that all happened. Perhaps it is a walk of pride or perhaps the enemy has just had a heyday on you. I don't know. But maybe it feels like things have been robbed and taken away. I just want to encourage you that our God can restore even in moments what it might have taken lifetimes to build and achieve. He is now bound by time or seasons or time frames. In fact, he created them. He's outside of them and he's around them. And if you humble yourself and seek the Lord, God can raise you up and he can restore and rebuild however he chooses in moments what it seems like you may never be able to rebuild again on your own. Wow. The hand of the Lord is powerful. Point number two is the face of the Lord. The face of the Lord. So if the hand represents the power that lifts us up, the face, the countenance, 
represents that which we seek. How to know intimately God. It says in Jeremiah 29, in fact, we love this verse. We, we quote it all the time, rightly so. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not evil. Thoughts to bring you a future and a hope. Speaks of destiny. Speaks of purpose. It speaks of God knows you intimately before you were even born. He's called you to great things. It's powerful. But listen to this, verse 12. It says, And then you will call, or then you will seek me and find me, when you search for me with all of your heart. You see, we have to, we have to read that whole thing. <laughs> he says, I've got a plan for you, but you're going to find me. You're going to find it when you seek me with all of your heart. I love it because David says it this way in the Psalms. He says, oh, Lord, your face I will seek. Now think with this. Go on a little journey here with me in this, in this point, Okay. Seek the face of God. If I seek him, as long as Uzziah sought him, God made him to prosper. If I seek him, if I continue to seek him, David says, seek, I will seek your face, Lord. Oh, your face, I will seek. Speaks this throughout the scriptures. It it, it describes the inward heart of a person who's just been genuinely captivated by pursuing God as their primary aim in life. Oh, to seek you, to see your face. But again, we have these paradoxes in the Bible, right? And there's always a, an explanation and understanding when we travel and mine the treasure that's there. I want to attempt to do that for you a little bit today in this. David says, I'll seek your face. Oh, your face, Lord, I will seek. But then I think to myself, well, I know I've read other places in Scripture where God says, in fact, he said it to Moses, Moses, you can't see my face. Are you with me? Seek my face. I'll seek your face. Well, you can't see my face. But seek my face, but you can't see my face. Which is it? Okay, right? It says... In Revelation, that when we go into glory, this is Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, when we go into glory in eternity, that then we will see his face. John says, when all is revealed, the Son of Man is presented when he returns, when he's revealed, that we will see him as he is. So there's something about glory, about a heavenly body, about the environment of eternity that allows me to see the face of God in a way I can never see down here. Yet, Seek my face. Can't see my face, but seek my face. I think we're part of the treasure that we discover in this, guys, is we understand the meaning of the word face. You see, Hebrew words are uh, kaleidoscopic. Like, there's just there's levels and layers of what they mean, and they don't ever conflict with each other, but it's just, it's deep, right? And so in that word face in the Hebrew, it can mean the whole face, right? You're looking at my face. You see my face. But it can also mean a side or an edge, a piece of part of the surface. So think about if you were to touch me on my eye, I would be 
correct in saying, you're touching my eye. Get your finger out of my eye. If you were touching my eye, I could also say, you're touching my face. Does that make sense? So here's where this opens up. What's David saying? He's saying, I've seen an edge of you, God. I've discovered a part of you. I've discovered a new side, a new surface to who you are. I I see your face, but I don't really see your face. But God, I want to spend my lifetime discovering as much of your face as I can until I can finally really see your face. Wow. (laughs) I asked you in the beginning, is the pursuit and the discovery of God your greatest fulfillment? I think David found that. A man full of mess, full of problems and all these other things. But man, he found something. He said, I have have discovered something about God and I can never go back. I'll be seeking him as long as my days remain here on this earth. And praise God, I'm only going to partially get there. The best is still yet to come. Why is that so important? I mean, for a lot of reasons, of course, but think about it in this context. Uzziah, success, achievement, accomplishment. People can spend their whole life investing great skill, talent, energy, resources, time, climbing every other mountain that's out there in the world besides the mountain of God. seeming that they will find something up there to sustain them. But if we can see it in the life of Uzziah, I promise you, the greatest celebrities in Hollywood and in our world today and everywhere else, they're not going to get around these principles either. Every one of those mountains of self-achievement, self-satisfaction, self-pleasure, self-pursuit, I'm just telling you, hear me if you choose to, the top of that mountain is always empty. Every time, I've talked to so many people who've reached, and you can read biographies, right, of people in business and in in all this stuff, and they'll tell you, I got to this place where I, I had what I thought was it all, and yet I was the emptiest that I'd ever been. Broken. Yet we can spend our life seeking and discovering more of God and His goodness. And it's a treasure chest that will just keep blessing and keep providing life, giving water into our lives. And God will just continue to bless us and raise us up while our heart is set on the greatest achievement that we can actually have, which is just to know Him and to know Him more, to see His face as much as I can. Wow. And you know what? Let me encourage you with this, Christian. He says, as long as he sought the Lord... God made him to prosper. Oh, oh, man. So as soon as our heart genuinely commits, I don't know where, I can't see into your heart. Obviously, nobody can, but God can peer into it. And he knows something. He says, oh, okay, something's changed in there. They are, I'm first now. 
I'm first now. They're seeking me more than anything else. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. This is what I'm trying to say. I don't care where you're at in your journey. I, I mean, I do. But in, in regards to where you're at, is you could be in wreckage, in mess, in junk, and all of a sudden, like, okay, I'm done with that. I'm ready to turn to God. Okay, as long as you seek the Lord, God will make you to prosper. The blessing, the prospering, the advancing, it starts the moment we start seeking, and it never stops. <laughs> oh, that is so encouraging. Wherever we're all at in our journeys is unique, but when we say, oh, Lord, I want to see your face. I'll seek you all my days. And, and the Lord just peers in, and then he says, ah, it's genuine. I want to reward you by revealing more of myself to you. And now something happens. It's like if you, if the discovery of God, pursuing and discovering God in someone's life, is not exhilarating, it's not the fulfill, most fulfilling thing, just, I hope this comes across the right way, I'm not sure you've tasted of what I've tasted of. Because once you have, there really is nothing else that can compare. There really isn't. And as long as God says, okay, I'm going to reward you now by revealing more of myself. He's, oh, I got to see more. I got to know you more, God. But just like we read last week in Jeremiah, he says, if you're going to glory, don't glory in might, don't glory in riches, don't glory in power, glory in how you know me. That's where your glory should be found. But what's amazing is when we find that place, when we live in that place, God is so good. He said, well, whatever, whatever riches, whatever power, whatever might, whatever knowledge you might need to do what I need you to do, I'll just give you that. That's easy. It's your heart that I'm after. <laughs> and when it's genuine, it's tested, then we see much like we saw in the early years of Uzziah's life. God raises him. I say, ah, no man is good enough for that. Nobody could do that. God is raising that man up. So point number three, seek first things first. First things first. You see, there is a theological term that we talk about with Christ called his preeminence. It means he's the highest it can be. But listen, preeminent means he's above everything. So he's highest in rank. But this is what we got to also get. He is also highest in order. First in rank but also first in order. And this is what I found, is that sometimes we do. I know, I've done it, okay? Talked about the hand of the Lord raising us up, power in there, but how we seek his face, right? Times people seek his hand over his face. Does it make sense? Let me say it this way. I want the blessing I want the rescue. I want the fix to my problems. Give me the hand, God. Give me the hand. He said, well, I got the hand, but just, I want you to seek my face. That's what should come first. Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first. This is, this is not just rank. It's order, right. right? Seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything that's necessary, that's essential for the work that I've called you to do will be added unto you. He'll give it to you. 
My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says that. So he's an understanding, like if I seek him, everything's available, right? When a heart is rescued, captivated, devoted to God and says, Lord, it's your will. I just, your will above mine. I'm seeking you. Listen, God will move the resources of heaven and earth to put them into your possession to steward, to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through you. He brought, when Solomon decided to build the temple for God, a house for God, stuff started coming from everywhere. Cedar trees from Lebanon and Cyprus and gold and work craftsmen. I mean, they just, they came from the east and the west and the north. They just, they just came in. God brought people from every direction and resources. Does that make sense? To accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. When our heart says kingdom first, you first, God. I, I, you have a plan for me. You have a calling on my life. But in the big scope of things, it really just serves the greater purpose, which is advancing the kingdom of God. And when our heart aligns with that, our life aligns with that, God says, I'll move everything in. He's got a timing. He's got a measure. He's perfect. Not too much, not too little, not too soon, not too late. We mess that up, but he doesn't. But he'll move it in. But here's the key. Keep seeking. Don't forget where we came from, right? Order of first. When, when, the, when something has to be first in, in order, if it's not, then everything else is out of order. And you can't, you can't rearrange that any way whatsoever to make it work. It's only when what's supposed to be first is first that everything else falls in place, right? You follow? So first things first, seek the Lord first. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So our kids, uh, some of our kids did cross-country this year, and it was really fun watching them compete and kind of get those competitive, you know, things going, and then they had their teammates that they were cheering on. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was fun for Katie and I to go and, and watch and be a part of it, too, and our, uh, one of our daughters, the tw- one of the twins, Alyssa, in her last race, she took first place in her category, which was really cool, yeah. Um, it was really cool, but the race before that she took second. And when she first started competing out, she didn't medal, and so she, she gradually improved. But in the race where she took second, the second to last race, it was, she was running around, and, uh, and the girl that was in the lead, she was way out there. I mean, it didn't look like she was going to be able to catch her. But the girl that was in second, and Alyssa was in third, she was, she was far enough in front of her where it looked like Oh, that's hard, but it was still reachable. And so in the last lap, Alyssa just, she, she, keeps her, she keeps her plan together, right? She keeps her breathing good. She keeps her energy right. She, t- she tackles the hill when she goes up the hill. And then she's coming down, and she's in the last part of this stretch, Nathan. She's coming down the valley, and she's catching her. And it's flat ground now. And the girl in front of her looks tired. And we've talked to Alyssa a lot. We're like, keep something in the tank, right? And so uh, it's like, oh my gosh, she can catch her. She, she could pass her. So Katie and I, you know, we're those, we, we, we become those crazy parents, uh, and we run out, 
because you can't. <laughs> you could go out into the field and cheer your kid on wherever you want. And so Katie and I, we both see the same thing, which is amazing, but we never said anything to each other. But we both saw the same thing, and we both ran out there, and we got down close in that last stretch, and we're like, Alyssa, you got this. Pour it on. You got this. And she was just like determination in her eyes, and she just started running. She chased that girl down, and she passed her right at the finish line and went from third to second. It was really cool. I was actually probably more excited about that one than even the the gold medal, just because of the way that went down. But here's the point that I want to make. As fun as and exciting as that story is, she gave it everything she had to take second place. And I'm proud of my baby for what she did that day. But you got to hear me on this. God will never compete for second place in your heart. He can't. He can't. It violates who he is. He won't play that game. He won't let us exalt something else, some other mountain, some other glory, some other pursuit, some other thing above him, and then play for second. He just says, I'm out. I won't touch that. And really... I don't know how you see this, but the way I see it is is I don't need to have all the answers and all the solutions and all the fixes to every problem. I don't need to be the guy because I know the guy. I don't need to have it figured out because I know the guy who's got it all figured out. I don't need to have all the solutions because I know the guy who has all the solutions and I know him and I'm knowing him and I want to keep knowing and knowing and knowing him all through my days. I want to seek his face. It's his face. I want to see. I want another edge. I want another side. I want another discovery. My heart has been captured. Nothing else can fill this place in me now. I will spend my life seeking you, God. And I don't know. Thank you I, I don't even understand but some reason you decide when I do you want to prosper me <laughs> he wants to marvelously help you divinely assist you help you do things you cannot do on your own folks church the world is looking for answers and solutions to things that, that are dry and, and they're searching for these empty mountains to fill these places and God says I own it all. Just come seek me. Pursue me with all of your heart, right? But this last part that I want to hit on is just God doesn't compete for second place. They're, they're, the world is so full of things, it's always, it always has been, that try to rival God in our hearts. It's funny because they're nothing. Like, God is totally uncontested. You get that, right? Like, he's not worried at all about his place. But these things rival God in our hearts. Whatever that might be for you, I know what it's been for me over the years. It needs to be in its place. What's interesting is that many of the things, not all, but many, that rival God in our hearts, when he becomes first, they actually get blessed. But they can, be a, they can be an ensnarement and an entrapment to us when he's not first. 
But when he is first, they actually become blessed. But it's knowing that, okay, I got to rule my flesh. I've got to steward. You, you understand this life that we're in, this time space, it says that God gave us, he pre-appointed the boundaries and dwelling places of men on the earth. Like, he even specifically and intentionally carved out the time and the years that you and I live and where we're out on the earth. Here's what I think about when I hear that. I need to steward this opportunity well. David served God in his generation, then he fell asleep. I want to I do that. Steward this time well. So in our day, there are all kinds of competing things that try to get in there, the enemy tries to use to, to cause us to elevate them, enthrone them in our hearts above God. What we have to do is keep first things first. There is a sweet spot in the scriptures that we can see, if I could say it like that, where we maintain a level of flexibility around methods and certain movements. Paul said, I become all things to all men, but I kept my bearings in Christ. That's what allowed me to do that, right? So there's a flexibility. We, we aren't ruled by these things. We rule them, steward them in our lives. So there is a sweet spot in Scripture for a, 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 an element of flexibility, fluidity, like I can adapt. In fact, I would say in the COVID world, like those last couple of years, that's probably, in, in, in my opinion, probably been one of the greatest things that it's brought out of the church is that we've, we've realized that some of the things we were holding on really, really tight to just needed to be held loosely. And we can shift and we can adapt and we can we could change certain methods as long as the message never changes. And so that's the key, guys, is that there's this sweet spot where there's this flexibility, yet at the same time there is this rigidity that we are immovable about certain things. In Deuteronomy 33, when Moses was blessing the tribes of Israel, he was blessing all the 12 tribes. God was speaking through him. He was blessing the tribes prophetically. And there were two tribes, brothers, of course, sons of Jacob, that when he blessed, he blessed together. And I see something in that. Zebulun and Issachar. He blessed all these tribes individually. But he says Zebulun and Issachar, he, he spoke the blessing jointly. And he said, Zebulun, you will be blessed and you're going out and Issachar in your tents. So just quickly, Zebulun was a seafaring people, maritime people. They had ships, they had trade, they had travel. Seaports were controlled by their territory. Uh, they were a voyager. They were a venturer. They were a risk taker. They were out there, okay? Adventurous. Issachar stayed in their tents. They had a dwelling place in a, in a land. They cultivated the ground. They, they stayed true. They called the people, other tribes to the mountains to worship when it was time for festivals, all this stuff. But they were blessed together. And here's what I see in that. I see and, and there's other places, I don't have time to show you this, but I see this pattern where God says that there is this beautiful balance 
between remaining flexible and movable, but in certain things remaining rigid and immovable. So our task in our day, church, will I seek him first? Will I put him first? Will I keep him first? Whatever I have to do in my life to make sure all of these other things keep their place so that he stays first, I need to be relentless about that. I need to be immovable and rigid in that. Am I making sense? But all these other things that are part of our world, there's things that we get to enjoy, things that are blessings, things that God gives us that he wants to put in our possession to steward and use for his glory. But man, they've got to keep their place. Hold them lightly and hold them loosely. Amen? Amen. And so, uh, close with this. I felt like as I was praying and, and just kind of finishing up this message this week, that the Lord was saying, like, that there are people who, um, in fact, it was, a, it was a scripture in Isaiah where he says, return to me and I will return to you. And I felt like the Lord was saying that there, there are people who are going to be there this week who have, who have served me, who have walked with me. But somewhere along the line, you know, maybe the Uzziah principle or whatever, like things have slipped in and are now competing, now interfering, and, and they're, they're kind of on a different mountain now. And I think for, that there's maybe even some people who possibly that part of that background of serving the Lord might have even been like in ministry, somewhere in ministry or possibly your parents were in ministry or something like that and there's a variety of things but maybe for some hurt or some wound or whatever that for somewhere along the line somebody kind of shifted and they went a different direction and the Lord is saying return to me and I will return to you there's there's time and as long as our heart desires to seek the Lord He's not looking for us to earn our way back to him. <laughs> he says, come to me and I will res- restore you to the place that you were. That's our God. That's our Jesus. So as much as things came crashing down for Uzziah in a moment, in a, in a short season, God can raise somebody up just as quickly. And so as we close out today and we pray, if that's you, uh, I would just ask you to let the Lord speak to you let him draw you, whatever it is that he's doing. And I would love to talk to you afterwards if you feel like, man, that, that word was for me today.